have a confession to make. I'm actually in love with the ETS. Welcome to The Jolt. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. You will have heard up top the dulcet Dutch tones of Wopke Herkstra, the Netherlands' former foreign minister, who this week reached a defining moment in his quest to be appointed the new head of European Union climate policy. More on how Herkstra fared during his confirmation hearing later in the show. First up, we'd better get into the climate and energy stories making news headlines around the world. Making the news today, fossil fuel phase down gathers momentum, UK renewables get welcome support, and Europe's most powerful computer is closer to coming online. First up, energy companies around the world should prepare for inevitable phase down of fossil fuels, according to Sultan Al Jaber, the head of this year's COP28 summit. Al Jaber, who is also chief of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, told the Financial Times that he is in talks with fossil fuel firms about an initiative that will cut emissions. Al Jaber's use of phase down rather than phase out reflects past disputes at climate summits, where vague language has been used to give fossil fuel producers room to manoeuvre. COP28 kicks off in Dubai on the 30th of November. Canadian investment firm will buy one of the UK's largest renewables developers in a deal worth $1 billion. Brookfield will take over Banks Renewables, which owns operational wind farms in England and Scotland. The potential move has been hailed as a shot in the arm for the UK's flagging industry, which has been hit by inflation, supply chain problems and the UK government's de facto ban on onshore installations, which was only recently lifted. The European High Performance Computing Joint Undertaking signed a procurement contract yesterday that will see Europe's first exascale supercomputer built in northwest Germany. Jupiter will be capable of 1 billion billion calculations per second and will be used to forward research in a number of areas. Climate is one of the topics researchers hope Jupiter will help boost by producing planetary-wide modelling and simulations. At a cost of nearly 300 million euros, installation work is due to begin in early 2024. Lastly, by no means an earth-shattering development, but something that caught my eye this week nevertheless, a French company is selling e-bikes, but with a twist. These bikes don't use batteries to store energy, but supercapacitors, which harvest energy generated during pedaling before quickly discharging it when the rider wants to go uphill or to accelerate. It's a bit of a bold concept, supercapacitors charge and discharge quicker than batteries but can store less energy. They've been touted as a potential option for regular bus routes, trams and even trains, which could be charged with enough energy to get them from station to station. First time I've seen it applied to bikes though, that puts me in mind of a recent concept I saw for a hydrogen powered e-bike, which I find totally ridiculous, Uh, but maybe supercapacitors are the future. If you've any insight or an opinion on this one, then do get in touch. The European Union needed a new head of climate after one of its top officials quit earlier this year. What follows is a tale of political intrigue, infighting and a fight for the green transition future of an entire continent. Wopke Herkstra, a Dutch politician who has served as finance and foreign minister of the Netherlands, was the centre of the EU show this week as he fought tooth and nail 
to get a coveted climate job. He certainly did not have it all his own way. Indeed, until this morning, we didn't know whether he would be approved. This is how French lawmaker Pascal Canfin, head of the Environment Committee that grilled Herkster on his credentials, announced the news. We found a two-third majority to uh, support the nomination of both uh, Mr. Sepkovic and Mr. Uh, Okstra. Both Herkstra and Maros Shevchevic, a Slovak official who will take over any remaining Green Deal responsibilities, are in. Their fortunes became intertwined, and after both answered some follow-up written questions set by MEPs, they managed to get the support they needed. We need some more background on this though, so let's break down the basics. There are 27 European commissioners, one for each of the EU member countries. Germany's is Ursula von der Leyen, and she was appointed president of the bloc's executive branch back in 2019. Each country nominates an official for a place in the team, and the president dishes out responsibilities based on the candidate's profile and background. The European Parliament then gets a chance to interview each of the candidates and can reject them if they aren't up to scratch. This normally happens at least once a five-year term, so MEPs can flex their muscles and show the Commission that they wield at least a little bit of power. Until this summer, Dutchman Franz Timmermans was von der Leyen's right-hand man and in charge of the EU Green Deal, including the climate job. Timmermans was in the running for president back in 2019, but fell short of getting enough political support. Nevertheless, he was relatively happy to settle for the extremely prestigious and important Green Deal gig, given the amount of political attention and focus that the energy transition already commanded nearly five years ago. This is what Timmermans told MEPs during his hearing. That this is not going to be easy is the mother of all understatements. We are faced with a challenge that is truly existential. And what we need to do will be truly transformational. This is about rebooting our society so that what we hold dearest is preserved and improved for our children, grandchildren and future generations. We cannot afford the luxury of screwing this up. Under Timmermans' watch, the EU wrote its net zero 2050 goal into law and published the Fit for 55 package of new rules and updated regulations, which aims to slash emissions 55% by 2030. He led a team that included Estonia's Kadri Simpson, the energy commissioner, Romania's Adina Valian, head of transport policy, and Lithuania's Virginia Sinkovicius, the environment commissioner. Very nearly all of the reforms championed by this squad have made their way into law, although some are still pending. That is why it was not completely surprising when earlier this year Timmermans announced he would quit Brussels, where he has served as commissioner since 2014, in order to return to national politics and attempt to lead an alliance of social democrats and green parties to victory in a general election in late November. This is where Herkstra enters the picture. In August, the Dutch government nominated Herkstra as candidate to replace Timmermans, it was then announced that he would take over the climate portfolio, a job that existed by itself under the last commission, but which was folded into Timmermans' wider duties. There was a problem though. Herkstra hails from the conservative wing of European politics, and a messy spat has been raging lately between right, left and centre over green policies. With elections looming in June 2024, conservative parties have been caught in votes by pledging to slow down the green transition, and to protect elements of society from the alleged costs associated with decarbonisation. The most notable examples of that are air quality rules and nature restoration targets, all of which risked being scrapped, but which were eventually voted through by MEPs. So putting someone with potentially that kind of mentality in charge of climate for nearly a year was a daunting prospect when it was first announced. Herkstra also has baggage. He worked for Shell, 
consultant for McKinsey, and made enemies during the COVID-19 crisis as finance minister when he opposed joint measures like corona bonds. Some even started referring to him as a bond villain, in particular Dr. No. Martha Myers, from Corporate Europe Observatory, told me why Herkstra's background should have precluded him from the job. Of course, he has a history of working for fossil fuel interests, both at his time at Shell, but potentially more uh, controversially during his time with McKenzie, um, which is an extremely controversial consultancy firm that he was working at and partner in whilst being a Dutch senator. In 2021, over 1,100 workers in the consultancy itself raised concerns over the fossil fuel industry interests there. Um, as McKenzie advises over 43 of the top 100 environmentally damaging companies in the world. So we know um, that uh, Hoekstra has definitely been engaged with fossil fuel ties at McKenzie. Martha also warned that his climate credentials are simply not good enough. Secondly, if we look at his actual track record of climate action, it's less than zero. So... Uh, what what has he done in climate and energy before? Well, the main thing is give 3.4 billion euros to KLM Airlines during his time as Minister of Finance um, in subsidies during COVID-19. In his hearing, the Dutchman was straightforward on at least the solidarity issue that has tarnished his reputation. This is what he had to say. And I've always tried to bring the national and the European interest together. And yet I do want to acknowledge that precisely this did not always go well. At the start of the pandemic, I showed insufficient regards for the difficulties faced by some member states. And I would like you to know that I I feel that I should have done that differently. Hoekstra also insisted that he would swiftly wrap up all of the ongoing negotiations linked to climate policies, which includes the Buildings Directive and Euro 7 car standards. He also wanted to go further than that. Through the climate portfolio, I want to prepare the foundations of a Green Deal 2.0, on climate, on biodiversity, circularity and pollution, and help increase ambitions across the board. One of the major policies that Herkstra will have to oversee is what to do about the EU's 2040 emissions target. A trajectory between 2030 and 2050 is sorely needed, and it now appears that this commission will propose some options, after it initially looked like we would have to wait until after June's EU elections. As team members, in the first quarter of next year, we will present our communication on the 2040 target. And the Scientific Advisory Board has already published compelling evidence with recommendations on technological feasibility, on removals, on environmental risk limits, international cooperation and fairness. The Board advises a minimum target of 90% net reductions of greenhouse gas emissions. And naturally... We will do a thorough impact assessment and analyse different scenarios, reduction pathways, costs and benefits. And I cannot preempt this work nor the final college decision, but I can offer you my clear commitment. I will act in line with the board's advice. I will use all instruments available to aim to enable the EU to reach the minimum recommended target of 90% net reductions. This will be a monumentally important milestone for Europe, not just the current 27 members, but also perhaps those vying to join the club, as 2040 is far enough removed for it to feasibly be a target that the likes of Montenegro, Serbia, Albania, or maybe even Ukraine will have to respect. 
and emissions target requires policies to meet it, so renewables benchmarks, transport standards, energy efficiency goals, and many more pieces of legislation will have to once again be reformed. The sooner the destination is known, the sooner the journey can be planned. Both Herkstra and Shevchevich have now committed in writing to defending the target suggested by the European Scientific Advisory Board of at least 90% net emission reductions by 2040. It is a hefty goal, especially compared to the 55% that the EU is targeting for 2030. Whether these somewhat personal commitments by both Herkstra and Shevchevich will bind the Commission to that 90% goal, or not, is another question. MEPs have managed to eke out a rather significant concession, and going back on it would be a very bad look for the EU executive. Just before we wrap this story up, you may remember that soundbite at the top of the show of Herkstra confessing his love for the EU emission trading system. Here it is in full. I have a confession to make. I'm actually in love with the ETS. I think it is a... I've seen many, many tools, uh, good, bad and ugly, in terms of, of policy making. I think this is second to none. It is, it is the, the crown jewel uh, and the working horse of our whole system. And the good news is we've added something to it. We, uh, we now have CBAM, and it is a first step. I'm sure it is not the last step, but it is a tremendous important part in making sure that what gets into the union is actually being dealt with in a fair way. Jokes aside, this speaks to Herkster and his political allies' priorities, that market-based measures like carbon pricing are the bedrock of all climate action. Expect to see him double down on that stance uh, during his term in office. As a bit of homework for you listeners, I would definitely encourage you to check out the European Scientific Advisory Board's report on the 2040 target. It really is a potential blueprint for the future of Europe's climate policies over the next two decades or so. I'll also link to the full recording of Herkstra's hearing if you'd like to watch it through in full. I'm very glad that any job interviews I've done in the past have never been this messy. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of The Jolt. We'll be back on Friday with another edition. This is all new for us at Foresight 2, so that's why we'd love to get your feedback on this format. What you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see in future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. So use the links in the show notes to get in touch. In the meantime, if you're a Foresight subscriber, then you can get early access to this week's Policy Dispatch, which is all about New Zealand's role in the energy transition. You can also check out the latest edition of What Matters, which was a special live recording. And keep your eyes peeled for a special article coming on geothermal energy, which is dropping soon. My thanks to everyone at Foresight for making the job possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the jolt.